You are listening to SALT's Teaching Social Justice Podcast. Hi, this is Olympia Duhart with SALT's Teaching Social Justice Podcast. And today I'm here with Kimberly Holtz from Arizona State University. Welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. Thank you. So what do you do at Arizona State? Well, I am a clinical professor of law, but that just means that I teach skills courses. So my primary teaching focus is in first-year legal writing and advocacy, but I also teach a variety of upper-level classes um, in in skills. Uh, Most recently, I have taught drafting in the alternative dispute resolution context and persuasion, and I've also been teaching a um, what we call a reading seminar, which is basically a reading group um, focused on the feminist judgments, um, constitutional um, U.S. Supreme Court cases. That sounds really interesting. It's been so fun. It's great to have these conversations with students. And let me ask you an easy question. Uh, Why do you teach law? Well, first and foremost, because I really enjoy teaching. I think I knew I wanted to teach long before I even thought of teaching law. Um, Way back when I was looking at um, different potential career tracks when I was in college, I thought I was going to be a band director uh, or a music teacher. (laughs) And um, and then I, I learned that music is a lot more fun when you're not taking a bunch of classes about it. <laughs> so, you know, I switched my focus and, and then I ended up in law school and I practiced a little bit, but I really did miss the teaching component. So when the opportunity came up, I was really eager to get back to it. I think being involved with students and having the impact on kind of these newly forming professionals is a really exciting place to be. And I have to ask now, is there anything about band directing and teaching law that's similar? <laughs> um, you know, there there are definitely similarities. I think one of the things about um, both law and, and music is that when you are looking at um, a full piece of music for, for an orchestra or a band, there are just so many components to it. And you have to understand how the components work together. And that's true of the law. There are just so many different aspects and components and to be able to make the best arguments, to have the clearest understanding, you have to figure out how those components fit together. So I think that that maybe does like underlie a lot of my thinking sometimes. That's a wonderful metaphor. I think I smell a a new law review article coming out. Right, (laughs) someday (laughs) when I have time for another law review article, yes. Well, the focus of this podcast is social justice teaching. Can you talk a little bit about how you include social justice in your law school classroom? Yes. So other than uh, specific classes where social justice becomes a focus because of the content, like the Feminist Judgments Reading Seminar, I try to infuse bits of social justice in a way that I think uh, moves forward the actual skill that I'm teaching in the class, but also incorporates ideas that that, you know, maybe students hadn't thought of, but they're kind of forced to think about it without making the social justice issue the, the topic. So I like to get it in there in almost like a subconscious level um, so that it it becomes more of a conscious thought after the process, if that makes sense. So we're not focused on it initially, but it, it bears itself out in the actual exercise or activity. So how do you lay the groundwork for sort of the subconscious priming you're talking about? Yeah, so usually it it is by giving them a different topic entirely to focus on. So one exercise that I use in uh, my advocacy classes 
is the uh, fact framing exercise that I think a lot of legal writing faculty use, which is to look at the Shuttlesworth uh, decision and the Walker v. City of Birmingham decisions uh, that were written uh, and compare the fact patterns that were used in each of the cases. Um, and those of course are about the March in Birmingham. And um, if you look at the different fact patterns, there are different persuasive techniques that you can pick up on. So when I have the students look at them, they are really looking for those persuasive techniques and persuasive aspects. But then when we come back to the discussion, they're forced to reconcile um, how those facts are actually used that, you know, the one decision, they are very clearly um, calling out the, the people who were participating in the march as, you know, violent, and they refer to their race, and they, they talk about all of these other aspects that um, weren't actually part of the march, but were mm -hmm. outside of it. And then if you look at the other, uh, the other opinion, all of those aspects are, are downplayed, and, and they focus on other um, other parts of you know the timing that it was Easter Sunday and uh, Good Friday and all of that. So when we start the discussion, you can see some of the students who are a little bit like maybe uncomfortable, saying, "Oh yes, in in this piece they were described as 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 Negroes." You know, they have this this kind <laughs> of like they don't want to say it out loud, but they have to confront it. And and I think when they walk away from it, they're just kind of um, more open to seeing, okay, so that kind of use of language and that discussion of race really did impact my understanding of the facts here. And mm -hmm. so um, so I think it ends up bearing itself out in a way that students don't realize it's happening until it's done. And do the students ever comment to you or, or discuss this realization with you at any point? Yes. Um, so usually this happens, you know, kind of at the podium after class. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was Isn't just that so where all the good teaching occurs? Right. Exactly. So, so I do have, have students that, that will come up after class and just comment on, you know, how different the two takes were and how they didn't, wouldn't have focused on that if they were given just one. And, um, and I think the fact that it really is, you know, a short period of time between the two decisions. Both are written by the same justice and um, they are so, so different in terms of how they handle things like race uh, that students are just kind of dumbfounded by, by all of that. Like, oh, like the same person can write these things and they can use these facts in a way that either really calls out race as you know, in that case, a negative aspect of, of what was happening, or they can focus on the other aspects of the case and make that what the case is about. It also reveals, it, what I'm hearing is it also reveals what biases judges, despite their best intentions, bring to the courtroom and what they're carrying Definitely. underneath those black robes. Definitely. And, you know, I wish that was something that we had more time in law school generally to focus on is really the impact of bias, um, but but I feel like it's still an area that just across law school curriculum, we don't get to touch on enough. And then this is in which class, this exercise? So I do this in both my 1L advocacy class and in my upper level uh, persuasion class, uh, but, but with specific, in my upper level class, we're looking at specific persuasive techniques. So they're even more focused on kind of technical aspects 
um, than than my one L's maybe are because they're so new to the mm-hmm. ideas. Have you noticed any difference between how the upper level students and the first year students respond to the exercise? So it's funny, the upper level students are so much more clinical in their approach to everything that we do in class. So they're like so focused on um, getting it right uh, because they they feel like they know at this point what's right and wrong. And uh, so I feel like it takes them even longer to get to the social justice aspects of the exercise because they are like, uh, they're, they're taking everything just from that skills focus, so. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm listening to your schedule, dealing with upper level advocacy, uh, teaching one else, and knowing that you do a lot of things outside of the building as well. Thinking about this material in such a thoughtful way is extra work. With everything going on in the world now and in your life, why do you think it's important to do this extra work? Yeah, so it is definitely uh, incredibly important and extra work. But I think if we don't handle these social justice issues in a thoughtful way and we kind of clumsily approach it so that we're like, we are well intentioned and we want to have a discussion it can go off the rails and, and, and be something that is less productive, um, makes the conversation uh, go in a direction that maybe you didn't intend or um, get off course. And also, and I don't know if, if other faculty of color notice this as well, I find often that if I make a social justice issue, particularly one about race, like the focus of an exercise there's almost this kind of pushback that like this is an agenda or, or something along those lines. But if I incorporate it into an exercise like the one I described, it's all, uh, it's ex- accepted by the students in a, in a way that I, I feel like is not always true if they feel like I'm, I'm pushing an agenda. So I think taking the time to really think about how it's coming across, how students perceive the information and the conversations that can develop make it much more worthwhile and much more likely to be successful. And I I feel like one of the reasons people shy away from introducing these issues in class is because they are worried about that conversation that goes off the rails or um, the pushback from students. And I think there are ways to do it without, without running into that. um, If, if you take the time. Yeah. And I, and you mentioned that the students can accept it better, but I'm also hearing that they can receive it. So they get the lesson in cultural humility, but they're also getting like huge pedagogical benefits. Exactly, yes. And I feel like that's something that in my time teaching, I've really had to learn how to help students receive information. Um, Because I used to teach in a way, I think where I just, I knew what the goal was, what the purpose was. And so I would just, you know, do a lecture, do an exercise. And and when students would be like, that was a waste of time, that was pointless. <laughs> I would be so angry because I'm like, no, it's not a waste of time. It does X, Y, and Z. And I've just gotten a lot better about, you know, trying to frame things, trying to help students understand kind of the purpose that underlies an exercise. And that has made a huge difference uh, in, in how students are uh, receiving and Uh, actually participating even to some extent in a lot of the exercises I do. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for spending this time with us today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. 